Hello and welcome to the Simply Learning Tuition podcast channel. My name is Rosaline and I work with Simply Learning Tuition, a private tutors and education consultancy firm in Kensington, London. This episode, we'll be talking with Victoria Gallagher. Victoria is an education consultant, an intervention coordinator, life coach and specialist dyslexia teacher working between Shropshire and London. Victoria began her career as a history teacher and within a year was promoted to head of department. Soon after, she became the school's inclusion officer and from there, her passion for SEN support was born. So over to you, Victoria. Welcome. It's lovely to have you with us. Thank you for having me. Of course. So you started out with your role as an inclusion officer. So perhaps we could begin by explaining what that role entails and how did it progress to where you are now? So basically I was head of history and I have always had a background with sort of working with children with challenging behaviours or any barriers to learning. Um, And my head teacher said, Victoria, would you be able to come and work in the SEN department and I want to create a role for you? Um, And that role was going to be an inclusion coordinator. So effectively, I was working alongside the SENCO, um, which is a special educational needs coordinator. My responsibility was for coordinating all the support for the child, all the training for teachers to meet needs. Um, So, for example, if we had a dyslexic child, it would be up to, you know, be my responsibility to make sure kind of their academic needs were being met, but their social and emotional needs were being met as well. And I had a team of different people that worked in the department. So we had specialists in there, dyslexia specialists. I'm a dyslexia specialist myself. Um, my Senko was also a, speci- a, a specialist assessor um, for dyslexia. We had drama therapists. We had counsellors. We had play therapists. So we would put a, a, a sort of a menu of support together that was bespoke for that child. And my responsibility was to coordinate that as well as run a number of groups for, for, for young people. Mm, so it sounds like there's a wide range of approaches that people can take when it comes to their children, you know, you've got art, drama, all these fun things. Do you have a a particular favorite? I think it's a combination. I think it always has to be a combination. It's not just about giving a child an intervention outside of the classroom. It's about making sure we find the right intervention and that's very individualized. Um, And also I think it's then about what is transferred into the classroom and working with the teachers and working with the child to make sure any techniques and tools and strategies they're learning is then transferred back in because there's no good of a child coming out of a lesson, learning all these wonderful skills through a play therapist or a drama therapist and actually not taking anything back to the classroom. Similarly, it's not very good if a teacher doesn't know what's happening. And obviously there's an element of confidentiality to those groups, however, we do want to be upskilling the, the the teachers so they know how to meet need more effectively. Mm. So it's a very important approach to take where the teachers are working together with the parents, who then if they've brought in specialists such as yourself, all it's all very important to work together based around that child. Absolutely. It's the whole child and it's a you know it takes a community to raise a child, and that's a real fundamental belief of mine that it's not one person, it, it needs to be a family. Um, and, you know, a lot of the lot of the families I work with, they become like family. 
um, because we, you know, a lot of our coaching is connection coaching. It's about connecting to the child, it's connecting to the family, it's connecting to the teachers, it's collecting, connecting to the senior leadership team. It's kind of working all together for the, you know, for the common good, which is obviously to meet the needs of the child, make sure they make academic progress, but will thrive socially and emotionally and live fulfilling, happy lives. So could you explain a little bit about your consultancy, about Woodlands? Yeah, so I was head of inclusion. Um, my husband was the head teacher there. We were busy supporting other people's children, working with a wide variety of needs with children with autism, children with EHCPs, children with, with dyslexia, OCD, Tourette's, dyspraxia, dyscalculia, dysgraphia, you know, the co-occurring difficulties, the whole range. Uh, as well as anxiety and depression um, and we were doing a good job and it was great and everything was going well but my eldest child was struggling in education and I had a gut instinct that there was maybe a, a potential learning difficulty there. Uh, I was fobbed off unfortunately by the school, they, they weren't recognising me as a parent's voice and were sort of saying no he's fine, he's making progress, there's nothing to worry about. Uh, and it was then that I embarked on an education consultancy um, myself. I found uh, an educational psychologist and we went for an assessment and he was diagnosed with dyspraxia. And at the same time, his hearing um, was a bit of a concern to us. And we later discovered he had auditory processing disorder. So suddenly in a year, his whole life turned upside down. He was diagnosed with uh, dyspraxia auditory processing disorder, went into glasses, needed eye therapy and went into hearing aids. And we had to put this child back together again because um, his co confidence plummeted. He felt labelled. He felt not that we'd labelled him, but his perception of that was I've got a label. There must be therefore something wrong with me. Um, and my husband and I, we went to Cyprus. We were waiting for the educational psychologist report to come through. And we were crying and we were saying, what are we going to do? We don't know what to do. How can a head of inclusion and a headmaster not know how to navigate this system? Um, and then as a result of that, I started to work as an education consultant alongside my inclusion coordinator's role. Um, and then we discovered that things were flagging with our other two children. We had our middle child assessed and they said he's dyspraxic like Ruben is, um, but we think he's also got ADHD. And then we had a lot of concern about my daughter who was in reception at this point. So her maths wasn't coming on, um, her spelling wasn't coming on. Um, again, we went back to an EP, back to an educational psychologist. They assessed her and said she's got dyspraxia, dyscalculia and attention deficit. Um, and it's only recently, she was only seven when she was first assessed. So we've just gone back for a recent diagnosis. Again, I've been concer not concerned, but had a view that she was probably dyslexic as well, but it hadn't been, it hadn't been picked up when she was so young. Uh, and my again, my gut, and I always say to families, go with your gut. My gut was right. She's just been diagnosed with dyslexia as well as her other co-occurring difficulties. And that's at the age of 12. So it's been a journey. I mean, what an incredible journey it sounds. <laughs> it sounds exhausting to be perfectly honest. And I think it is incredible that your business was born out of such a personal experience. And I think it is a real advantage that you've been on both sides of it. 
yeah. and you've experienced the struggles that parents face when they're trying to navigate this. Um, do you have a key piece of information or a key piece of advice that you would give to parents who are in the same position, who have a gut instinct and they're just not quite sure what to do with it? I mean, my would always say, first and foremost, go to the SENCO, so that's the Special Educational Needs Coordinator at school. Have a conversation with them. Ask them to do some informal, in, internal informal assessments to see if there's any specific learning need that's coming up. Lots of schools have kind of online assessments they can do. They may have in-house specialists that can assess. So I would do that as my first port of call. If Often a lot of families that come to me are not getting anywhere with the Senko. And they've, you know, they've they've come up as possibly dyslexic or there's something going on, but we can't quite tell you what it is. And then I would say to families, come to me and then I will support you to go to the next best professionals to get that advice, to get that assessment. And I hold your hand through that. So you'll go for the assessment, you'll come back. I'll decipher the report for you. I'll then work with you and the school to make sure that the needs are met. Um, I normally write every child that I work with a pupil passport. So it's basically a snapshot of the child, of their strengths, of their difficulties, of their strategies for learning. Um, And again, that's fed back to the school so that can be embedded into the classroom because the problem as a parent is you've got an, an educational psychologist report or a report from a professional, and often that report gathers dust if nothing's not done with it. And it's really important we make that document live. And so therefore, we, I want to empower parents to be able to go in with the right, you know, with the right questions, uh, being able to sort of um, advocate for their child in the best possible way they can. Mm. I think that's brilliant. And um, and you mentioned earlier something called an EHCP. Could you maybe explain to parents who have heard that phrase thrown around quite a lot? I think it can be confusing. There's so many different terminology. Could you explain what that is and what tends to be the biggest difficulty that parents find when they encounter it? So an EHCP is an education, health and care plan. And often those are applied for by the school or by the parent. Usually there has to be significant need. So we have to demonstrate that everything at school from a kind of send code of practice point of view, the school has implemented the, the send code of practice. They have been a, they've done every strategy, they've put every intervention in place, but actually that intervention and support is not working and the child's not making progress in education. Usually, typically, the local authority wants to see them being about two years to three years behind. But again, you're not always guaranteed an EHCP on the back of that. It is, again, it is pulling all the evidence together to say why that child needs additional funding. And that additional funding might be to pay for a speech and language therapist, an OT, a specialist teacher, um, a, a learning support assistant that can work alongside them. So there's a lot of provision that is granted once you've got that education, health and care plan. But it's very, very challenging for parents to to achieve one. Uh, It is a struggle. I've had lots of families that have got it. I've had lots of families that have had to go to tribunal to get it. Um, So it is the local authority increasingly do not want to spend money on meeting a child's needs and would look more to the school to meet need. Um, So it's, it's a... 
if anything, it's a it's a financial mm. barrier. That is why people don't get the HCPs. Mm. And it must be causing quite a lot of pressure on the schools as well. If Absolutely. you know the councils are turning to them to shoulder that responsibility. And 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 I think it's teachers. You know, teachers are not given time to plan. In fact, I was just I was just sort of reflecting today, and I was thinking, what was my SEN training? What what did I receive when I was training to be a teacher? Mm. Two hours of training. That's wow. all that was on the university degree course. And actually two hours. And then all that we were ever thrown around on, I brought it online to, today actually, was behavior. How to manage children's challenging behavior. So we had lots of workshops on that, but not, not actually what a diagnosis. What does it mean to be dyslexic? What does it mean to be dyspraxic? What does it mean to have social and emotional barriers to learning um nothing was ever taught it was all about let's target the child's behavior and get them to behave so they're ready for learning but actually a lot of behaviors signal and communicate that there's maybe something that the child is finding difficult um, and therefore we need to unpick that behavior so it's not about reprimanding and having the best behavioral management strategies it's about understanding the behavior and that for me is what I'm all about it's understanding what is the behavior communicating and that's where our connection coaching comes in mm. and what would you suggest to parents who maybe notice this behavior and maybe know that their child is struggling with something and it's manifesting as you know what people might phrase challenging mm -hmm. but maybe are hesitant at the idea of a formal diagnosis for their child Again, I would always say, go and speak to the Senko, speak to speak to the form tutor, raise some concerns with them, see what their view is. Is this just happening at home? Is some of the behaviours just happening at home or is this happening in school? Typically, children with co-occurring difficulties will tend to lose it at home and teachers will say, oh, we don't have this problem at school. And that's because they're very good at masking. Mm. And so you get a lot of children with subtle difficulties who are very good maskers. They're great at school. They come home and their and their attention uh, tank and their energy tank is just completely uh, gone by the end of the day. And so they have emotional meltdowns. They are emotionally dysregulated by the time they get home. Um, so again, I do a lot of work on emotional regulation and strategies so that the child is empowered to be able to recognise I'm feeling this way, I'm feeling tired, I'm feeling anxious, I'm feeling frustrated, what can I do? And then the parents are running alongside that in how can I support? Um, because we're not that, you know, we're, it, it's, not, it's not a quick fix. You know, it, it's something that needs to happen over time, but the more you can empower and equip the child, the more likely they are to manage their behavior. And, you know, at one point in their lives, they transition from us as parents, they go on and lead independent lives. In fact, I've just, I brought my cup online. I've got a lad that was special educational needs, ended up in Oxford, um, you know, and flew the nest. And, you know, the behaviours and everything that sort of, you know, the parents came on the parenting course with me. And there he is, he's flown the nest, he's equipped, he's got the skills, he's got the techniques, he's got the strategies. And alongside that, the parents had the strategies and felt more confident as parents. To, to bring up a child with co-occurring difficulties. And what would you perhaps advise those parents who 
maybe are wanting to help their child grow and develop and, and reach that self-confidence. But as you say, the child is just not quite ready for that. Would you, would you offer advice for that? Yeah, I mean, I would always say it's time and encouragement. Um, I've had I've had families phone me and say, I really want my child to have executive function coaching. They won't engage. And I say, well, well, why were they not engaged? Well, they don't really understand it. Okay, come on the phone to me. I'll give you another phone call. So I'll speak to them and then give them the option. Does this sound like a suitable intervention for you? Is this something you think you would benefit from? I've not had a child yet that said no. Um, they've all said yes. Sometimes you need somebody objective rather than it looking like the parents pushing it. I know if I, you know, if I sort of push something with my children, they'd say no. Um, whereas if I give them more autonomy to say, look, here's a couple of options. Do you want to speak to somebody about this? Yes, please. Okay. Have a trial. What did you feel? How was it? Yeah, it was great. Or no, it's not for me. Okay, well, it's not for, it's not for you right now, but it's not to say it's not ever going to be for you. So again, it's time and it's it's just it, Woodlands. We're all about sort of connecting with the child and giving them the, the bigger picture because children like certainty. They don't like uncertainty. So they, I don't want them to come into the coaching process thinking, I'm really not sure what this mm. is all about. And this feels unpredictable because then that doesn't feel safe and that makes them feel vulnerable. Um, so again, you know, that's something we want to avoid at all costs. So what are some common challenges that parents of children with dyslexia or other learning difficulties might face? I think there can be lots of challenges that parents can face when their child has been recently diagnosed with a diagnosis of uh, an SVLD. I think the first thing is coming to terms with it and understanding what it means for the child and what it means for them and how best they can support I think the first step is when you've got a diagnosis is to kind of understand the report. So understand the educational psychologist report, and that can be a real challenge. Um, and there'll be lots of recommendations in that report. Um, and again, that can feel quite overwhelming. So for me, I would always say really worth making a meeting straight away with the special educational needs coordinator at the school, going through the report with them, helping them to understand what the strategies are and then helping them to formulate an individual educational plan because that's what a child will be given uh, when they've got a diagnosed need. So um, that, that, that report will basically highlight their strengths, their challenges and specific targets that they can work towards. So I think the first step when you've got a child with a diagnosis is to have that initial meeting with the special educational needs coordinator. The educational psychologist will be able to give you lots of support, lots of advice, lots of strategies. But your job as a parent is to make sure that those strategies are actually being put in place in the school. So regular dialogues with the school is really, really important. And I think also being able to feel confident enough to sit down with your child and explain the diagnosis to them, because often for a child with a diagnosis, they quickly given the diagnosis, but without any kind of comprehension of what does that mean for me? How will this affect me? So being able to have that really, you know, that that open dialogue about kind of coming to terms with the diagnosis, asking them what they want, what they feel they need 
remembering to uh, reaffirm them, remembering to uh, remind them of their strengths. Um, because ultimately, a lot of these children with an SBLD will lack confidence. I've had a lot of children that I've worked with who've said they feel stupid or they feel different or they feel special. Um, and we've got to kind of eradicate that uh, misconception they have about themselves. Children with an SBLD are very, very bright. They are academically able and we have to remind them that they are academically able. They just need to have different skills and tool sets to be able to access the curriculum that little bit more effectively. I remember someone always saying to my child, you have to work at 150%. And if they can recognize that from the beginning, is though that's tough, if they recognize that they do have to work that little bit harder, again, it's about how we can help them develop that growth mindset they, so that they can accept, this is where I am. I have dyslexia. I'm not going to let it defeat me. How am I going to work with it to get the best out of my education and so that I can fulfill my potential? And all of us as parents want happy and fulfilled, happy adults in the future. Um, so probably every parent has difficulty encouraging their child to complete homework and <laughs> come home from school and not just immediately, you know, relax or do anything like that. But is this perhaps a more acute issue for parents of children with SBLDs is the reluctance to do homework? and maybe any difficulty faced with that? Or do you think that is a misconception as well? Um, I think it is more of a challenge for them with homework. As I said before, they're working at 150%. They're exhausted. Lots of parents that I work with say, we have the fallout at the end of the day. So they're exhausted, they're dysregulated. And for a lot of parents, it's about how we get them emotionally regulated again. And that is about them having that bit of downtime at the end of the day, um, but then setting that agenda. But for me, I would always say if, if homework is a real challenge, we need to be communicating that back to the school. Why is it that homework is such a challenge for them? Are they being, are they given scaffolding when they come home? Do they have model answers to go off? Is it broken down for them in stages? Um, again, as a parent, you want to be sort of breaking that task down for them, helping them to understand what the question's asking them to do, um, helping them to plan. So a lot of children with um, executive function difficulties and SBLD, they, they struggle to plan and organise themselves. So sometimes just being there to sort of help them write a plan for their essay question or a question that they're answering on volcanoes, for example, just helping them to plan that out, um, giving them time frames as well, um, letting them set the time. They're not always good at prioritizing and time management. So again, saying you've got 40 minutes, I'm going to come in and check on you after 15 minutes, see how you're getting on. The worst thing to do is expect a child to go for 40 minutes and do a piece of homework. We don't know how much they're struggling with that piece of homework. So again, it's going in as a parent, as a coach, to be able to say, I'm wondering if you're struggling with this particular task. How can I support you with this? If I can't support you with this, who else can we ask to support you with this piece of homework? I think a lot of children as well with a, with a with specific learning difficulty have learning support lessons. 
And in those learning support lessons, they'll either have extra literacy, literacy, sorry, extra maths, but it also will be a time for them to do their homework. So the more we can get children doing their homework in school, I know it's called homework, but actually for these children, the more that we can enable them to get work done within the school environment, within the school day, a lot of children have lengthy days at school. They're not getting home till five, six o'clock. They're sporty. So they want them to do their sport. Um, you know, it's 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 important as, as professionals, we try and meet that need both at home and at school. So if they've got learning support lessons, how are they using those learning support lessons to achieve uh, their goals around homework? But again, if you are a parent dealing with homework at, at, at home, be mindful that it, it will be exhausting for them. Be mindful that, you know, the last thing they probably want to be doing when they're processed out is homework. And I think that's what we've got to remember with these children. They have work and memory challenges and processing difficulties. They have used their attention uh, bucket. You know, they've used that bucket up by the end of the school day. So they will be exhausted. So maybe looking at times when it's more suitable for them to do homework as well. So a lot of families say, well, we've got Sunday is quite free. We tend to kind of break Sundays up and do homework within a Sunday or a Saturday. It might be that they set a, a period of time in the evening, which is a good time for them, where they can just do, you know, 40 minutes, 20 minutes. Um, yeah, I think it's just about finding your way with them. But mm. again, communicating that back to the school, if they are really struggling with homework, why are they struggling with it? And often it's because it hasn't been broken down, it hasn't been chunked into bite-sizable chunks of information that they can comprehend and un understand. So again, communicating that back to the special educational needs coordinator. And it is all about communication because if the child doesn't communicate to the parent or the school doesn't know that the child's struggling, you know, they're just coming home from school and they just expect that to be fine. Absolutely. And I think there's a tendency to want to do the homework for them because no, no parent wants to see their child struggling. So it's, you know, if they aren't able to access that homework, if they aren't able to do it, then we need to be communicating that back to the teachers because ultimately they're not going to learn if that if 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 we're not communicating that back to them. And so, how how do you think parents can help their child's morale? You know, presumably it can, as you said, it can be quite hard for them to stay upbeat following a diagnosis, or perhaps when they've had a long day at school, they come home, they struggle with their homework, and they just feel a bit defeated. Do you think there's there's tips that parents can can follow? I think a lot of parents that I've worked with appreciate and tell them this is tricky, this is difficult. I understand how you're feeling. I'm noticing that you're feeling particularly overwhelmed, sad, frustrated, angry. That's okay. What I'm here to do is to support you as your parents. I love you unconditionally and I'm here to support you. I think what you have to do is love bomb them. You have to show them that you're their biggest champion, that you're their biggest mentor. Help them to appreciate their strengths. Help them to recognise just what a special person they are. Um, so it's all about kind of affirming them. And it's also about challenging some of those thoughts that they may have. So some of those misconceptions they might have about themselves. I'm thick. I'm stupid. Actually, it's not. you're not thick. You're not stupid. It's just that you learn in a different way. 
And so you use a different toolkit um, and and that's what I'm here to do to support you. So again, I think, you know, it's 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 very difficult because as a parent, we don't want to see our, our, our children struggling, but all we can do is love them. All we can do is help them to recognize the special individual that they are. But again, use those co coaching strategies to help them regulate themselves. You know, what's the evidence for this sport? Um, you know, how can we think differently? What new perspective could we have? Think about somebody who's really important to you, a role model. What would they tell you to do? How would they tell you to think? And those are the sort of tools that we use in coaching. It's getting them to think of it in, in a different perspective as well. Um, so as a parent, it's about coming alongside them and coaching them. A bit like a coach, you know, a coach who's coaching for football and they have a bad game. It's about how, how do we coach them to pick themselves up and have a better game next mm. time. And I think that's what we're doing as parents. We're, we're recognising that this is difficult. You know, maybe this grade wasn't the grade you wanted to get, but that's okay. You've worked to the best of your ability, but we can look at what we can do differently next time to, to, so that you don't feel this way. Um, and again, if they are underachieving, again, we, we want to be communicating that back to the school um, and, and addressing maybe, you know, they are underachieving because their needs aren't being met. So again, that's where we, you know, we as parents have to re re reference the um, Equality Act of 2010 is, you know, to know that these children do require extra interventions. It may be that the school needs to put an extra intervention in place for them and that will boost their self-esteem. They'd be doing more maths or they'd be doing more English and their confidence will come up. Um, so, yeah, we've just got to explore, but remind them of what their strengths are um, and try and challenge some of those negative thoughts they have of themselves. Mm. Another area that I am quite interested in hearing your opinion on, and I'm sure a lot of parents also wonder as well, is your stance on mainstream schools and specialist schools and whether you think there are benefits to one over the other, whether it's dependent on the child and also maybe for those parents who are also hesitant at a formal diagnosis, whether they'd be hesitant at the difference in those kinds of educations. Again, I think it's really personal to the family. So when we had our eldest diagnosed and, you know, the one with the hearing aids and the glasses and the auditory processing and he had a really spiky profile and we went to see a paediatrician mm. because of his dyspraxia. Because again, you know, you have to go and get a paediatrician to formally diagnose it. Um, and we went to her and she said, you know, your son would be better in a specialist setting. Now, obviously we were head, I was head of inclusion and we could see the children with the HCPs had greater needs than our own son. We then made the decision that we didn't think we wanted to pursue an EHCP and, and specialist education, not because we were against it, but we thought the level of need he had didn't warrant an EHCP. Mm. We probably could have fought for it and got it. Um, but at the time, it wasn't it wasn't the right thing for Ruben. So I think it's really personal, it's a really personal experience whether a child needs to go to specialist or not. So I've had lots of clients that have gone mainstream and the children have thrived in a mainstream setting. I've had parents who've gone to non-selective schools um, and have really thrived there. But then I've had parents who 
because of the level of needs. So they might be two years, four years behind. They might have moderate learning difficulties. They couldn't access a mainstream curriculum. So they've gone to specialist um, and completely thrive there. Or they've needed the OT, the SOLS, the, sorry, the occupational therapist, the speech and language therapist, the play therapist, the psychotherapist. Mm. If they need all of those different um, interventions, then obviously specialist education would be um, more beneficial for them. And I suppose that's where we would come in as well as private tutors and education consultancy. You know, if we have a parent or a family who comes to us and they're saying, listen, we know you want your tutoring or we want your tutoring. What is your stance on tutoring for children with special educational needs or the level of support that that gives? Mm. So again, I think what tutoring can do is really tailor it. It's not taken away from the teacher, it's tailoring it to the individual need. Mm. Uh, because they're working on a one-to-one basis, a rapport can be developed. Um, you know, I'm a dyslexia specialist. I have to work on a one-to-one basis with my children. Mm. Um, group work doesn't work because I can't target it. I can't make it personalized. So for a lot of the children that I support that have tutors outside of school, it really, really, really brings on their confidence. They are much more confident and they're able to tell their tutor a bit more than they tell the teacher. They're able to ask more questions. They're able to do the overlearning and pre-learning. So something for a child with co-caring difficulties it's overlearning to automaticity because a lot of them have working memory challenges. They need to repeat, 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 repeat. And what a tutor enables them to do is kind of go over the teaching that's happened, review what's been learned, teach a new concept, but go back to the previous concept, over teach that again. So the child's constantly revi- revisiting content. Um, And that's more likely than that information to go into the long term memory. And that's where we need it in order for these children to be successful. So I would say tutoring. I'm a real advocate of tutoring um, because I just think it can be much more bespoke and individualized for the child. Mm. Uh, And I know every client who's got a tutor that I work with all really benefit from their tutors and have you know really meaningful relationships with their tutors and again I think the tutor acts as a bit of a confidant a bit of a mentor um so they're not just there for the academic support they're also mentoring them through that process as well um and I do a lot of training with schools a lot of training with tutors to upskill them in that coaching technique so I would hope that tutors are able to use the coaching techniques alongside the formal uh, formal academic tutoring So they can be, you know, they can have that holistic approach to learning. And I suppose it is reassuring for the parents as well. You know, if you're worried about your child or you're wanting to do as much for your child as you can, you're trying to bring in people. And also that's where you and Woodlands come in to support the parents in turn, as you say. Absolutely. It is all about finding the right support. So it's about saying to the family, okay, what is the need? Let's have a look at the need. Let's see what the consultants or the educational psychologists have said. Right, let's target that into a menu of support. It might be at that particular time, they just need a dyslexia specialist. It might be they just need a tutor for maths and science because um, a lot of children have you know, challenges with, with, with maths, particularly um, with co-occurring difficulties. Some fly with maths. And so it's just about looking at what is the right intervention for them at that particular time. 
No, definitely. Um, I mean, it's been incredible listening to you. And I think, you know, as we said at the beginning, your position as both a parent of children with special educational needs, work and education background, and your role as head of Woodlands Education really just gives you such an insight into all these different areas. And I, I hope that this will be very useful to parents listening and maybe that they feel a bit more reassured about how they can help. Absolutely. I mean, you know, any question is is not a silly question. I always I'm always of the view, ask a question. Um, and I'll be more than happy to help because I could talk about this for days on end. I could talk about many different aspects of special educational needs and disability. Um, but obviously in the small window that we've got, I hope we've given you a flavor of what we do um, and what we're all about. No way, it's been absolutely wonderful to have you on the podcast thank you so much for joining us um if you would like to know more information please do refer to our show notes thank you so much for listening